The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Mark. Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice, This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one about what, it had, what they had seen until after the Son of Man had risen from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. O Lord, may your word only be spoken, and may your word only be heard. In the name of Jesus Christ, the living word. Amen. I'm reminded this morning of a story that the preacher and author Frederick Beekner tells about a day uh, during his stint as a teacher at Phillips Exeter Academy. It was a late winter afternoon, and as he walked to class, he noticed the beginnings of a luminous, glorious sunset. And he arrived in a classroom full of chattering students, completely ignorant of the beauty that lay just outside their window. And in a moment of inspiration, Beekner turned out the light in the classroom and didn't say a word. And amazingly enough, there was silence. And it grew minute by minute. 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, nobody saying a word or moving a muscle as that glorious sunset revealed itself through the classroom windows and a golden glow emanated throughout that classroom. He let that silence grow in the face of that beauty, and he describes it as one of the best classes he ever had. Perhaps he hadn't been prepared, I don't know. He simply got out of the way. Silence in the face of glorious mystery is sometimes the best way to go. Apparently, in the gospel story this morning, uh, Peter couldn't let well enough alone. And it's understandable, he just starts to talk. Moments of transfiguration are often ones that are beyond words, yet they're so powerful that we try to capture them anyway as a way to kind of contain God and reproduce that experience at another time, to try and put God in a convenient box to be returned to in our own schedules. Peter tries to do this by talking about building some booths, building some dwellings for the holy people that he was encountering. 
Now, Peter's offer to build booths uh, was not a completely random response, as it turns out. There was a tradition in Judaism that God would usher in the great day of the Lord, the, the end of the days, during the festival of booths. We know this today as the festival of Sukkot. Um, you may have noticed uh, driving out Route 2A in the fall, um, that in front of the Chabad house on 2A, uh, across from Trader Joe's, there are sometimes these booths, uh, um, what's the root, uh, crudely built out of two by fours and maybe some uh, corn stalks and stuff on it. That's meant to recall uh, the time in the wilderness when the Israelites were living in impermanent dwellings. They had to be able to move quickly. And this festival, Sukkot, is one that's still celebrated to this day to remind uh, the Jewish people of their time in the wilderness. Anyway, so Peter may well have been thinking, this is it. Um, we need to have these booths here. This is, the way the story goes is that this, this end of the days can't happen until we have these booths ready. So his, his response, while maybe nervous, uh, was, not, um, was not completely random. There is a reason that our tradition has preserved this story and all of scripture for that matter. This story of the transfiguration, the story of Elijah, the stories of Moses. In a time of stress and of fear and anxiety, as the Christian community began to cohere and pull together the stories of Jesus during that first century to reflect on a time when God was powerfully present, this was going to be very, very important for them as they grew in strength and love for one another as a community in the face of a hostile environment. And certainly in the narrative of Mark, in the narrative of Mark, as we go through the story, we know as readers what's coming. In the story, they don't know just yet, but they're going to need a powerful, powerful, encouraging um, fortitude to face what's going to come. And I dare say for many of us today, these stories from Scripture provide a similar kind of courage and strength for our own journeys. In fact, this is a powerful tool, the tool of memory, of personal memory and of collective memory. memory. When we remember, literally, to put back together a strong, positive experience from our past, or from our community's past, we often try to describe it. We use words to describe it. We bring it into the present, in our consciousness, and we draw on its power, on God's power, to give us strength, to find our way through whatever difficulty we're facing, and to help us reach the future that we desire. And yet, there are also times when to truly experience God, we need to look to the future and to the unknown and not to rely on the comfortable images and practices and memories of the past. At the worst, these memories and experiences and practices can devolve into attempts to control God, to make God appear at our command. In reflecting on this gospel, I was reminded of an experience that taught me just how much we rely on predictable ways of experiencing God. Not that this is wrong, it's just that it limits us. 
I'd gone uh, to Common Cathedral. This is a number of years ago. I'd gone to Common Cathedral with a group of young people from our parish and, and uh, adult mentors to worship on Boston Common with the congregation of Common Cathedral. And we had made uh, meals in the parish hall the night before, as happened uh, just last weekend. We'd made meals in the parish hall the night before to take with us. And we worshipped with the congregation on a freezing, cold January, I think it was, January afternoon. And then we ate with them uh, in that space next to Brewer Fountain. And afterwards, after worship and lunch, we went inside the uh, narthex of the cathedral. And there, Kathy McAdam, who's the executive director of Ecclesia Ministries, led us through some theological reflection on the experience. And one of the questions she asked of us was, what did you learn about God here today? And as you might imagine, uh, there was some silence and um, some head scratching. And then finally, one of our young people piped up and said, well, I learned that today that God doesn't have to stay inside the church building. God was out here, outside with us as we worship. Now, like many of us, this young person had come to think that God was only met in a special building at a particular time. Or perhaps this young person reminded us of something we already knew, but perhaps are afraid of. And that is that God is always present, waiting to be acknowledged. Thanks to the power of God and of this young person's openness to the spirit of God, we learned this truth again for the first time, that God doesn't need our little booths to be known and experienced, and we may not need them either. In a few days, we'll begin the journey of Lent, a metaphorical wilderness time when we have the opportunity to deepen and stretch our faith Perhaps prune it of unnecessary accretions. Maybe open it up and let the spirit blow through it with something new. As we prepare for Lent, maybe we can hold these two ideas in tension and offer them as prayers. And the first idea, the first prayer is this. Lord, Help us to draw on our personal and communal memories and experiences of your power to strengthen us, to shore us up, to inspire us. Help us to look to the past. And also, Lord, help us to expect to find you in places beyond the booths where we might normally seek you. Help us to look ahead to those places where we might delightfully and gratefully be surprised by your ever-present care and mercy. We pray this in your holy name. Amen.